Little did you know you are strong, smart, insightful, beautiful, hilarious, loyal, and loved. The podcast you need to navigate your 20s. Little did you know with Shelby Eastwood. Happy Monday, my friends. I'm super excited. I have a really great guest today, and he's already here, so we're just going to get right into this episode because he's got a story to tell. So we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get right into it. All right. Hey, Corey. How are you? Very, very good, my friend. I want to say first and foremost, thanks so much for having me on your episode today. I'm very appreciated. Uh, you're allowing somebody of my former career to come on to your amazing podcast, so I'm honored. Oh, thank you. I don't have a lot of male guests, so like, it's, right. it's I'm, I'm happy that like you wanted to chat with me today. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I don't discriminate. I love it. I, I actually really like to be able to speak to a younger audience a little bit. I'm, I'm one of those old guys that used to walk uphill both ways in the snow bare feet to go to school. Stop. Right? So. <laughs> um, we were mentioning, I, just, I like knowing where everybody um, is from. So like we were, when yeah. I remember when we were chatting prior to the episode, you're, you're Canadian, right? Yes, I am. I was actually born and raised just outside of Vancouver in uh, wonderful Surrey. Don't, yep. don't tell anybody knows Surrey. I know where Surrey is. My dad's from Vancouver, yeah. so. Oh, it's one of those areas that, uh, boy, oh boy, I tell you what, growing up there was an experience and uh, it's changed a lot now. But uh, yeah, you know, I did a lot of traveling, did a lot of touring across Canada and ended up in Florida for a little while and ended up back here. Now I live in the beautiful Okanagan Valley uh, here in uh, Kelowna. So, oh, cool. Nice so, area. so that's where you've kind of located yourself you're in Kelowna BC now yeah awesome. yeah it was we, oddly enough it was somewhere where my parents my parents and I used to go up camping a lot when I was a little boy and I used to always say oh yeah you know by the time I get into my mid-age I want to be able to live up here and ironically I ended up here after all my crazy travels in my former career so wow. yeah it's it kind of cool to be here now so, so I want to hear all about this said former career tell me everything uh, <laughs> who yeah. tell me this whole backstory I'm intrigued yeah well I mean I have a very unique, colorful past, and, um, you know, when I explain these stories sometimes, I tend to try to really emphasize that I pull a lot of my ego out of the equation now, because it's an industry that was really riddled with with a lot of egotism and a lot of... um, comparison and perfectionism and all that sort of stuff so and it's a very misunderstood industry by a lot of people as well with a lot of assumptions but the bottom line is is that I was bothered for many years by many people after telling some of these stories from my past Corey you should write a book about this crazy career I have only met so many people in my life that have taken their clothes off for a living and especially when it comes to a male so I was a male exotic dancer for 25 years of my life and that's a little bit older than even some of your audience members are but uh, when it comes down to it uh, I started off at 17 years old in an industry that's very politically incorrect in a lot of ways when I started out and it was an industry that basically uh, is kind of a foregone industry now, especially with all things considered with the pandemic and stuff. You don't see a whole lot of male strippers, so to speak, out there, for that matter, even entertainers in general in that yeah. field. It's kind of uh, changed a lot. But um, through those journeys that I had, not only across Canada, and but into the States and even into Europe, um, I compiled an amazing amount of really crazy stories. And I had a lot of really 
interesting, I guess you could say, perspectives from that viewpoint about both sides of the gender equation. So, and that's kind of, like I said, just like a dancer is misunderstood sometimes, I think even males misunderstand females in a lot of ways sometimes. And um, so, you know, my perspective is very unique and that's why I wrote a book about it. But um, yeah, I can really, honestly, I could kind of start anywhere with this thing. Because yeah, I, tell me I, why, like, so you started at 17, you <clears throat> mentioned, like, what yeah. kind of, like, why? <laughs> Yeah, so, well, I'll kind of give you a bit of a background. So, like, basically, when it, when it came down to my myself, personally, I struggled really hard with unworthiness, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, when you'd assume that maybe some guy that was taking his clothes off for a living would have all the confidence in the world, you would think, you, the last yeah. thing you would think of somebody like that. But actually, I had all the, basically, the fears and all the doubts that any other person would have in his teens or for that matter even in early age right so but for me I was a little more emotionally disconnected than most kids because I was actually raised by my grandparents so they actually didn't have like they they were amazingly great people but they just basically due to their past and living in a depression era mindset from many many years ago they carried along a lot of those those values which were really good in some ways with morality and integrity but when it came down to emotional connection we didn't have a whole lot of I love you's or sweeties or honeys inside my house right there was love expressed but it wasn't the same way as a lot of other families had so for me i was very blessed to have two parents and be raised in a middle class uh, you know neighborhood that basically we didn't struggle we didn't have problems with food on the table so to speak but i was always very hungry in a different way and that was actually for the ability to actually get emotions out of people and so even from an early age i was the kid that was running around the house naked to get a response out of the people that were visiting and stuff like that just to you know get a rise out of people and it kind of went from there so basically to, to, to make a somewhat long story short as far as my introduction to the industry what kind of happened was um, I decided after getting bullied in school a little bit by a few different people that were really kind of surprising who bullied me. I took it to really, uh, I took it to heart. My pride was really hit pretty hard because I actually had to back down to them. And I was kind of, it was just a bad situation. I think a lot of kids in school, they, they deal with that and they don't really know how to deal with it. So for me, I just was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to do whatever I can to take control back. So I decided, you know, instead of getting bullied, I'm just going to go to another school. And I ended up having the ability to go to a school that was a little older, started surrounding myself with some new people. And I started going to the gym every day. And I started working out really hard because I was like, my motivation was, I want to be able to basically be so big and so intimidating that there's no way that anybody's ever going to mess with me. again. And And it actually worked. But the thing was, is what ended up kind of going from there was, I had this buddy of mine and he said, and, and all you, all you teenagers are listening right now, this isn't what you necessarily want to do, but if you do take the plunge, it's pretty fun. What ended up happening was, is I ended up actually <clears throat> went to the gym, met up with this guy. He got to know me. He said, Corey, man. he goes, why don't you throw a university shirt on and come down to the club? And of course here in Canada, our drinking age is 19, yeah. but I was only 17. And here I was going to high school and you know, I said, okay, well, whatever, I'll give it a shot. So I went down and, I showed up at the club with this university shirt on and he's a bouncer at the club. So he said to me, he's like, you know, he said, come on, come down anytime. But of course I show up right when the doors open because I'm so nervous and there's not a soul in the entire place outside of him and the manager. And so he turns around and he introduces me to the manager and the manager says, Oh, he said, what's your name? And I said, Corey. And he's like, Hey, I'm Chris. And so we start chatting a little bit. And he said, Oh, are you going to school? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to school. 
and I didn't lie. I was going to high school, yeah. but he thought it was university, obviously. And he said, well, you need to make a few extra bucks. And I was like, starving student who doesn't need to make a few extra bucks. And he said, well, take off your shirt. I looked around, there's nobody around. So I took my shirt off and he's like, you're hired. And I was like, I'm hired for what? Uh, <laughs> and he's like, be here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And he goes, you're a topless waiter now. What you have to do is you just have to walk around just like you are. And on Tuesday nights, you basically wear a Hawaiian outfit. So you wear the Bermuda shorts with yeah. the, the Hawaiian lei and all that. And he's like, and on a Thursday, it's kind of that cuffs and collars, uh, you know, upscale type of scene, right? So he's like, that's all you have to do is play that role, walk around, serve some drinks to the ladies. You take 15% of everything you sell and basically you get all your tips. So, of course, I was like, glory days, I'm in. So I decided I was right in there and I had a lot of fun and I was working under the table and I was just like, it was just this crazy scenario where I was still going to school and keeping my grades up and I wasn't getting into drugs, but I was in this crazy environment. Yeah. And so that was how I kind of got indoctrinated into the industry. And then, of course, I believe it or not, in between time, I worked that job for a couple of years, but in between time, even before I got to be 19, that club said, oh, we want we want to hire you to, to work at the door and ID people. So I was IDing people three nights a week, and I was actually doing two nights a week doing topless waitering. And ironically, I'm asking people for ID, and I'm not even of age to even be in there in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm standing next to, like, the police officer asking me how my night's going, and we're just kind of shooting the shit. And it was just like, the whole thing was just crazy. Yeah. So when I actually celebrated my 19th birthday, I actually made up that it was my 21st birthday and we pretended it was my 21st birthday celebrating that at the club so yeah it was just this crazy thing so and then eventually actually what what ended up happening from there was of course i was around a bunch of other dancers because there was different dancers that would come in for ladies night every tuesday and thursday and i got to know these guys you know and so one of the guys was the top male dancer in all of canada at that time he was wow. like the elvis of stripping and he was an amazingly talented guy and he always handled himself with class and he really represented himself really well and he wasn't the stereotypical i don't know if you want to call it if you put an image in your head of a male dancer he wasn't that guy he was yeah. actually like you know really business type and everything and yeah, it was a good time too so we got to know each other and he kind of took me under his wing and he said you know what man he goes you have all the ability uh, and more to 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 go and do full nude stripping just like me and i was like i was like looked at him i said no there's no way man like, i couldn't do that that's just crazy like yeah. that's out of my realm beyond fear and i had honestly i had a fear as a little kid of being exposed naked and walking down the street naked and having everybody mock me yeah so literally i walked right smack dab into my <laughs> biggest fear and he turned around and he said okay well Within a couple of weeks, he said, I want to put a show. Well, we got to get a name for you. We have to get a show together for you. So I we created the name Dalton Strong, and that was my dance name. And it was based off of my favorite movie at the time and just representing a big guy. So Roadhouse was my favorite movie. And he said, okay, well, Dalton's the character name, and you're a big guy. We'll call you Strong. There's your dance name. Within two weeks, we had a Terminator act put together, and I was being Arnold Schwarzenegger walking out on stage doing my first show. And and that's when it got crazy like that's when life just started to get really nuts and it was like a, it just expanded from there and when you there's a big difference between male dancers in canada and male dancers in the states uh we have a lot of things that, that most people don't know about when we go completely naked here in canada so there's some sacrifices that guys have to make that are not pleasurable in any way and most people don't know about it but it's something that i had to do and so when i when i got ready to go out to a show believe it or not <clears throat> 
we had to actually give the illusion of being massive because obviously male dancers are supposed to be the big, you know what? Yeah. So we'd actually have to go backstage and get an erection and tie it off and basically go out onto stage. So that, and that's because you'd have to show everything that was required by our agency. That was mandatory. You had to do that. So I had a couple of incidents that were no fun where, you know, tied off a little bit too long a couple of times and couldn't feel anything down there afterwards. And just some really crazy stuff. That a lot of people don't know the sacrifices that male dancers in Canada make. Right. Wow. So, so there was that. And then basically I, you know, continued to do shows after that very first show. And ironically, when I did that first show, there was about five girls from my graduating class in high school standing there waiting for me to come out and do it. And so that made it even more intimidating. So, and so, you know, I got through it. Obviously I lived, I made it through it. And then all of a sudden I was getting booked all over British Columbia and I started getting booked across Canada and I just started doing contests and stuff. And I was a very creative dancer. So I didn't really necessarily want to be doing the YMCA or the cop or the firefighter. I was wanting to get creative and try to do different acts that were really cool that were just made me stand out and some of those were amazing creative they just they're so good they turned out amazing and some of them were the biggest bombs on the planet that were so embarrassing it was ridiculous and i went through injuries and just all sorts of different stuff that that you didn't necessarily see in in the magic mike movies or anything like that right like that's hollywood you know no. what, I, what, yeah. I, what i did is, is i lived it and i lived and I, that's what i tell when I reveal all my stories in my book, take it off, because that is something that when, when you actually truly understand what we actually were doing back, you know, back then in a lot of ways, it can actually really, you can understand there's a lot of relatable things that are struggles that anybody else is really truly going through. It's just magnified through a different lens is all right. So yeah. Did you find when you were like doing it or even afterwards, like there was that big stereotype that, people were stereotyping you like as like that magic kind of magic mic idea no no in fact i i never looked at it that way um because i always looked at it like the ladies at ladies night wouldn't want me to stereotype all of them either true true right you know i always looked at it like that right like if i was to turn around and say every girl that came to ladies night i just consider them all to be sluts well that's not fair. I know lots of women that go to ladies' nights that aren't that. And I know lots of male dancers, actually, that aren't stereotypically what everybody else thinks that they are. You know, I, right? did, so, I, would, I did not expect you to say that. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of an odd duck. I, I, I'm an authenticity coach as well. So I, go, I dive very deep into values and I dive very deep into understanding other people's perspectives and stuff as well, right? So, yeah. But I haven't always been that way. I haven't always been that way, right? Like, I'm just learning and growing just like everybody else. For sure. I'm curious to know, like, because, like, through your career as, like, an exotic dancer, did Mm. it impact your mental health in any way and, like, Mm. relationships that you had when you were doing that for 20-some years? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you spend a quarter century doing an industry like that. (laughs) um, Let's let's hit the mental health part first, and then I want to hear about how it affected your relationships. Yeah, well, the mental health side of it was really not necessarily so much derived from the industry itself, but it's actually more so just from the person that you are and the experiences that you have through life. Now, the reason why I called my book Take It Off is not actually to do with taking your clothes off. It's actually about taking the layers off. And those layers all revolve around mental health to start with. So as we are born, we are born pretty oblivious. We don't really know what's going on in this world of ours. And then we get all these layers of shit that start stacking on top of us. And we have all these demands of us. And 
we have all these things that we have to conform to society wise, whether it's you're going to school and you go, you take the courses that everybody else is taking because that's what you're supposed to do yeah. or whatever it is. There's different things that, you know, whether it's something that somebody said or maybe the way they said something that impacted you or maybe something that you blew out of proportion. So here's a great example of mental health where it was affected me, affected me. Now, I'm going to give you this analogy, and this is something that you may have done and you may not have done. Maybe some of your audience members have done. But have you ever taken the time as a grown adult to go back to your elementary school and take a walk through your elementary school? No, because my elementary school has been demolished. <laughs> okay. Well, but have you even walked into an elementary school? Oh, I'm a teacher, so yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so when you walk through, you notice that the hallways are like the, 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 the ceilings are a lot lower, yeah. maybe, than a regular hallway. You notice that the desks are a lot smaller than you maybe perceived when you were sitting in them as a kid, right? True. So it kind of works the opposite way sometimes too, because when you're a kid, you can look at a lot of other things as really big in comparison to what you are. So for me, here's my little story. I'm going to take you back to when I was five years old. So I'm five years old and my aunt and my uncle, they take me to the fair. And we go to the fair and I could not understand how they could do this little tea trauma to a five-year-old kid, but they went ahead and put me on the Ferris wheel. And when they put me on the Ferris wheel, I got stuck at the top. And I could hear the wind blowing and I could hear the seat creaking back and forth. And I was scared shitless and I was crying my eyes out. And I was crying like a bitch up there, just freaking out. And I wondered to myself years later, I was like, why on the earth would my family, being as good a people as they were, why in the hell would my aunt and uncle ever put a kid on a Ferris wheel like that and leave and cry like that? I couldn't figure it out. So he turns around and he says, my, I said to my aunt, years later, I said, and Carol, like, you know, what's the story? And she, she turned around. And she said to me, she was like, Corey, you were, she said, you're not at the, you were not at the fair. And I said, what do you, where were we? And she was like, we were at the mall. I put a quarter into the little Ferris wheel thing and it was about seven feet tall and you were crying your eyes out and you were no higher than just a, maybe a foot above my head. What? So what that basically means is, is sometimes in the childhood we can perceive the truth to be a lot bigger than what it actually is so in the first chapter of my book being goodbye caterpillar hello butterfly i actually put the representation of truth as my morals as, as far as my value and my struggle with that value is perspective so that is highlighted through my chapter as the reader reads through the chapter and then at the end of the chapter I reveal what I call the naked truth, which is actually the accountable, authentic, true side. And it was not a, it was not intentionally being inauthentic at that age. I was yeah. just a kid. I didn't intentionally do that, but I was inauthentic. Yeah. I wasn't living by my authenticity. So it can start as early as that. So that's what I'm talking about, about mental health struggles can start really early and then they compound. And guess what I had for a fear most of my life because of that bloody Ferris wheel at the heights. mall? A fear of heights. <laughs> right? So, and I had a lot of things, a lot of adventures that I could have gone on or experienced that I didn't do because I was scared of heights yeah. for no reason, no reason at all. So, but then it comes back to also when you're disconnected emotionally, you know, that's where it kind of starts to affect your relationships or you think that you're, you've been in this perfectionist industry for so many years in comparison games with everybody else out there. And we all know the comparison game every time we get onto social media and throw on our Facebook. Yep. We're, looking at, we're looking at an airbrush brush world out there that we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And if we're not as good looking or have the same stuff that they have, 
we're sitting there feeling unworthy. Yeah. Right. So it's just one of those things when you want to talk about mental health. Well, you know, when it comes to that emotional connection, it's really important to understand your emotions. Right. And so for me, I never understood my emotions until just a few years ago, believe it or not. And I actually got away with living off of just having an amazing exterior. And I was able to do that for 43 years of my life and even longer. But as much as I got away with all that, by being able to make money or be able to do things, the part that I was struggling with was not addressing my interior issues. So when I didn't address those, well, guess what happened to all my relationships? I had a struggle there. Yeah. And it was a power struggle a lot of the time where, where I'd be sitting there looking up at somebody from on their pedestal going, oh my God, you're God's gift to the world and having such massive high expectations out of them without even being willing to work on my own shit. Yeah. So there, there's that. And then sitting there going, oh, well, the relationship failed. It's all their fault. I'm perfect pointing my finger, not using my thumb. Right. And so I did a lot of that for a lot of years. And then there was the other side of it when I actually eventually got married and I sat there, I stood up on my pedestal and looked down at my ex-wife and was wanting her to make changes. And all I saw all the potential that she could be, but was never really to really were willing to work on my own stuff. So again, I had high expectations for somebody that was ridiculous and they could never meet those expectations. So again, this is where it all comes back to understanding your values and actually like being an authentic person. And I just hadn't been that until a few years ago. That's, so it's never too late. That's it's never too late. That I'm. That's very interesting because, like, you don't normally hear men have that perspective or that point mm-hmm. of view. Um, yeah. So the fact that you do and like you're you're sharing that, I feel like that that's really important. Um, yeah. How? Struggle. Yeah. How like going with kind of that theme? How would you recommend men, especially men in their twenties, who are still like. I, I'm going to stereotype here and like, I want to say like kind of still in that cocky stage. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, how do you, yeah. how would you recommend them to kind of unlock and share their emotions with either their friends or their partner um, or in their relationship? Like, what would you say to them? Mm. Yeah. Um, a struggle that I had actually like in the, that era, I guess you could say of my life and even into my thirties um, was not truly understanding the definition of man enough the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, this, uh, definition that you grew up with, maybe it's, but your parent, your dad was like, or your parents were like, or maybe what the movie that you watched was like, and you're sort of sitting there going, ah, this is what a real man represents. Yeah. He's not supposed, real man's not supposed to cry. Yeah. Real man's not supposed to show emotion. And this is, and this is really going to date me, but if you guys have ever watched Top Gun with Tom Cruise back in the eighties, old Tom yeah. Cruise used to stand there and he didn't want to cry when he lost his buddy Goose, but saying, and he held back all of his emotions to be the big tough military guy. That's not man enough. That has nothing to do with being a man at all. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of like I really, really clarify that in my book a lot. Man enough doesn't necessarily have to mean being the hunter gatherer to have to be the one that goes and gets all that stuff done, and that is. One of the main reasons, in my opinion, that three out of four suicides in Canada right now are men. Hmm. Because because men can't handle, a lot of men are having a really hard time with not, with failing right now because the world has changed so much and they take all that on themselves and they don't want to really even be vulnerable enough to express that to their partner and they just stick with communication, which, you know, they always say communication is the key okay, I'll give you that. Communication might be the key to be able to actually have a default relationship. 
but connections really the key it's 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 getting the feedback it's getting the understanding from your partner so my question while you're going on to that wouldn't you need communication to have connection yeah but if you just have communication then you don't you can you can communicate without connecting true you can't you can you can be high you can be high honey i'm home yeah yeah no i agree with that Right. Yeah. But when you but connecting is more based to me anyway on not making it all about me and maybe turning around and saying as a good authentic leader and maybe turning around and saying you know what I don't even necessarily agree with some of your perspectives and I don't even necessarily have the same values as you do but I'd really like to get your feedback on what my strengths and weaknesses are so I can get better as a person and I'm going to give you my feedback on what yours are as well. And if people could actually be a little bit more authentic like that and actually have the balls to turn around and say to their partner maybe once a month, where are we honestly? And are we moving in the right direction or the wrong direction? And if we're moving in the wrong direction, what do we have to do to write that? And if we're moving in the right direction, let's do whatever we can to continue doing that. I'm right? but, that that's interesting to me because what if what if, for example, from a female's perspective, what if yeah. you do that and like the male, the man doesn't want to reciprocate or partake in that conversation? Then what do you do? Well, you know, that's what it comes down to finding as far as finding authentic relationships. Yeah. Because the bottom line is this, when you want to be authentic, just like anything, my friend, whether it's going to the gym and working out or dieting or whatever it is, it has to be somebody that's willing to do it. Yeah. Got to be willing, you know? So to me, in my eyes as an older guy now, and this is what I'll say is I'm not going to settle for anybody in my life that's not willing to be authentic. And if they're not willing to be, exit stage left because there's a whole lot of other people in my life that are now more than willing to be authentic in front of me. And I'd rather have those people in my life than the inauthentic ones. I'll take five authentic people in my life than 5,000 inauthentic people in my life yeah. any freaking day because I've been there with the 5,000 before. Yeah. Right. So like, that's what I'm kind of saying is, is that it's not the, it's not the quality or the quantity, it's the quality, right? So, you know, if that person's not willing to walk through the fire with me in a relationship on that, then that's okay. I'm not saying they're a bad person, just might not be my person. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, Tell me about the, the process of kind of writing your book. And I know you mentioned your, like your friend was like, um, oh, I've never met like somebody like this. Like you should kind of all put it together. Like what was the, while you were writing, what was the process like? Like when did you do it? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, was it a COVID uh, book like everybody else's? No, no, actually I started it before COVID. <laughs> I'm just teasing. COVID. I'm just teasing. Oh, no, no, I get it. There's a lot of people have been writing and that's a good thing. That's one of the good things that came out of COVID. Yeah. Is a lot of people have been doing a lot of self-discovery mm-hmm. in this last couple of years. Um, but I started this long before that. Actually, um, believe it or not, it was about almost six years ago when I started writing it. Oh, wow. Um, and so, but when you're trying to compile a story that starts from age five, really, and then you just give a description of age 17 till 43 of all these insane moments, um, I wrote all the stories and it took me um, a little over a year to actually put all the stories down on, on paper. And I had to go back into my life and timeline things like mm-hmm. sit there and go, okay, well, where was I on 9-11? Where was I when Hurricane Katrina hit when I was in Florida? What, where, where, you know, where was I? And I, who was I living with? And, yeah. you know, just go back to all those moments. And so that's really tough when you get older, because sometimes there's even spaces that you're not really accurate on and all that. So I had to timeline all that, which was an interesting process. And then I 
Um, but, but by the time I got finished the stories, actually, I knew that I hadn't got, it wasn't enough yeah. because like I had so many people saying, Oh yeah, you could release this book right now and it's going to sell like crazy. And I thought, yeah, it might. But like, the thing is, is I wanted to, I had more work to do. Like I had another decade worth of work on almost to do on this, to be able to actually find myself. Yeah. And so what, what I was able to do when I really found my authentic self was I was able to dive back into that book that I'd wrote all the stories and find where I'd strayed from my authenticity and my core values. And that's where I put injected those into every chapter. So now I've made something good into something spectacular and then brought in a publisher and an editor, obviously that did some amazing work on that side, but realistically, you know, it was just a, it was a long process, but it was worth it for the, to, for the wait. And by going through and, and doing, doing this, it made, it taught me a lot about myself. And the one thing that I'll, I'll say about that is, is just like anything, like, you know, there's a lot of things in life that can be taken away from you, but when you get your education and you actually have something that impacts you that hard, that can really never get taken away from you unless your health yeah. completely deteriorates in your brain or something. Yeah. But it's one of the only things that can't be taken away from you. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, it was an amazing process writing the book and that's why I do training now to train other people, you know, to, to be able to write authentically. Like that's how much I've fell in love with that process. Oh, wow. right? Wow. Um, That's really cool. There's some, like, I, I haven't shared it really with like friends and stuff, but like I mentioned on the podcast a little bit, um, I'm kind of writing my own book. (laughs) Um, and I'm the kind of person that like writes by hand. So I'm writing it all out by hand first, which is don't even ask me why, but I am. <laughs> um, cool. And it kind of like tells like, cause I've been through like a lot of traumatic experiences when I was younger and like with my family, it's fucked. <laughs> um, so like I kind of share that and like intertwine like um, what I wish I had known at that time based on what I know now, even though I'm not that much older than what I was then. Um, sure. And so just kind of hearing like, like other people's processes and how they did that and stuff. I think it's, it's really enlightening to hear. And, and especially like you're, you're like, Oh, it took me six years. And I'm like, okay, well I've kind of had like, I, I would stop and then not write for a long time and then like write a bunch and then not write. So like, it's kind of inspiring and like, um, what's the word? Like, I feel okay knowing that it's not completely like all done right away. You know what I mean? Oh no. You know what girl? I'll say this. Uh, if you're looking for perfection, you're never going to find a hundred percent. But if you're actually willing to go with progress and you're willing to go in when you're flowing the right way and you're actually like feeling it yeah, and taking your time to create something amazing instead of just trying to throw some shit out of the wall to see what sticks, you'll make something amazing. I feel like it helps. It helps with like yeah. my mental health, getting it all out on paper. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, one thing that I didn't realize that a lot of people don't realize when they start writing is how much value they actually already have. Yeah. You already have insane value that the world needs to know about, but, you know, it's just like me. I used to honestly sit there and go, oh, I was like, oh, I was was a guy that took his clothes off for a living for 25 Uh years, right? Yeah. All I was was this guy that tried, you know, that did this and this and this, all this crazy shit, but I didn't have any idea that so many other people in this world that were out of my audience didn't normalize me. And what I mean by that is, is that this, your parents normalize you, your friends normalize you. Even the guy that maybe even met you last week normalizes you to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But the person that you've never met before that turns around and you tell them your story and you tell them what you're doing, they don't normalize you. And they're like, Holy fuck. Tell me more. (laughs) There's a big old world out there. Oh, yeah. It really is. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned is, is not to worry about getting the support 
of my family or my friends or anybody mm. because if you're actually authentic and you're doing what you really love and you're really passionate about it that rest of that world out there is going to get goosebumps just like you i love that what, what was the feedback like after you after the book got released I've had a couple of amazing reviews on Amazon, actually, and I've been, actually, my book's 100,000 words in, like, 316 pages, so um, all the, I have so many people that have bought the book now that haven't even read it all the way through, so they're just kind of, like, giving me feedback as they're going along, right? But ironically, I wrote it actually targeting men over 30 who struggle with lack and disconnection and you know, emotional disconnection, and yeah. basically unworthiness and all that. Like, that was the struggle. And then my, my, you know, I guess you could say uniqueness is being in the career that I was in and yeah. doing a lot of personal introspection. But I'll, I'll say that the, the feedback has mainly been from women, ironically. Really? Yeah. yeah. And how it impacted them in a way that made them look at not only men in a different way, but also just made them look at their own life in a different way as far as staying really accountable for shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh. it does... It's not really by gender. It's by just by, you know, where no, you're for at. Sure. And I love that, like, you're able to take your story and kind of spin it so that it, it affected everybody. Yeah, yeah. Which I think no. is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's really probably the most gratifying thing I've ever done in my life, oh. if you want to know the truth. It actually has really impacted me and makes me feel like I'm a better person. Oh. But, I mean, I truly, 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 truly believe that the more aligned you are with your authenticity yeah. and you, the more understanding you have with your values, you are a better version of yourself the more the, you can, you're never going to be perfect nobody will ever be perfect 100 but when you're but if you're aware you're doing better than most people out there how would how, most people aren't aware 100 how did um like what how did you end up ending your career as an exotic dancer to then becoming like an authentic coach and writer mm-hmm. and everything yeah well um i'll tell you what how many minutes do we have left here we're sitting here at what we're at 32 uh, minutes we got lots of time okay okay so we have time so why don't we, um, if you don't mind me backing up, I mean, it's just, can we, before we jump to the end of my career, can we kind of maybe just go towards like when I left Canada and uh, went to the U.S.? Yeah, of course. Yeah, because that was kind of pivotal in my whole mental health thing too. So uh, I, we could probably do three episodes, my friend. I have many, many podcasts and uh, <laughs> podcasters that have said, we need to book you back to finish this off because it's just, we could be here for a while. Oh, for sure. But I'll say this. As a person that was 26 years old that had never done a drug in his entire life outside of alcohol. Now, I did drink a few beers at a six-pack or so or whatever when I was at a party when I was in my teens. But to be honest with you, I never smoked pot. I never mm-hmm. did any drugs. I didn't do nothing. And I left my world of bodybuilding because I was a bodybuilder. I was trying to go pro at 23 years old. Um, experimented with steroids at that time. Never got in any major trouble, but kind of almost did a couple times it's a whole other story but what i'm saying is is i built my body up and all that and what happened was that club that i was telling you about yeah. that i was working at when i was dancing there uh when i was a young guy uh an agent from florida had actually came up there and he said uh and he saw me standing there at the door with like no neck i was like this big big old bouncer dude and he said oh he says Corey, he said if you if you ever want a job come down to florida to come work with me and the boys he was like you know you can come down he goes because you're probably one of the nicest sons of bitches i've ever met and he's like i don't know if I, I don't know if you don't need to be in the states so because you canadians are far too nice to be down there you can get in a lot of trouble <laughs> and i said oh okay and i just put the card in my pocket and i was like no nah, i'm not ready to do that yeah just leave everything behind right pretty young guy at that time but then what happened was i ended up doing these contests and I had a couple failures, but then I won Mr. Nude Western Canada. And then I took second in Mr. Nude Canada. 
and I'd already pretty much hit the peak of what I could do, in, you know, in Canada, like, I mean, other than getting first. Yeah. And so I was kind of sitting there going, well, what else do I do with this crazy career? And I'm only like 26 years old and I've already achieved all this. So grabbed that card out of that guy out of my pocket, right? And I was like, I'm going to call this agent down in Florida and see what's shaking. So I called him up and he said to me, he's like, holy shit, dude, I remember you from Casablanca's back in the day. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, I said, is the job still off, offer still open? And he said, I can't believe your timing. I said, What's, why is that? He goes, oh, man, he goes, my guys are coming up to BC in three weeks. And they're going to be actually dancing up there. They go, I, got, I have them booked all over BC and I need somebody to get them around and make sure they get to their shows on time. So if you can help them get to their shows on time and you can learn all their dance choreography while they're up there on tour, you have yourself a position, my friend. And I was like, done. <laughs> so I went, I just went out and I got those guys to shows and I worked my ass off and I got all the choreography down. And next thing you know, my, my dad, who was my grandfather, was helping me get across the border and he drove me across the border and I had my bags in their tour van and we got in the, we got met up at a gas station. I jumped in a tour van and spent three days driving straight across the country all the way diagonally to Florida and became, started a new life back in 1996. Wow. I was like two years old then. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. So, but you got to understand at that time in, in Florida too, that was the beginning of the electronica movement and the rave situation. Just like, but that was like when it was, it was peaking. It was like being in, I don't know, New York in the late seventies and being into disco. Yeah. It was crazy. So, so when I arrived there, it was just, you know, I walked into this new world, a world that I had no idea about and nobody knew me outside of a couple people. Mm -hmm. Right. So I go into this new world and, uh, as a person that's emotionally disconnected now, put a pin in that. I walk into the largest beach club in North America, Club La Vila, and it had held about 8,000, 8,500 people. And as I drove up in the van, we saw a life-size billboard of all of us standing on this billboard for this photo shoot we did during the tour. And they sent it down and had that sucker up and ready for us to go when we pulled in the driveway. And this club was massive. It was like $35 a head just to get in. There was like, you know, multiple different rooms in this place. It was like a partier's, a partier's dream. You couldn't get anything better. But still, I was very oblivious and very naive, and I walked into this scenario with, like, a bag in my hand, and so I walk up, and I get introduced to the two owners of the club as soon as I walk in. I'm an instant VIP. I get to meet all the stars, the MTV people that come in there, like, all that shit, right? Like, I get right just in the mix. And within no time, like, you know, everybody was partying and doing their ecstasy around there and having a good time. And, like, I'd never done anything. And I was like, my buddy Damon, he came up to me with his Alabama accent. He's like, hey, Corey, you should try this here little pill. And I was like, all right, I'll try that out. And he was like, yeah. He was, you get ready, boy. He's like, 45 minutes, I'll meet you up at the bar. And it was like, okay. So we ended up up there. And 45 minutes later, we're standing there talking to a couple of girls. And I didn't think that thing was going to do nothing to me. And when it rocked me, it rocked my freaking world. And all of a sudden... It was like all those emotions that I could never really express or I couldn't really feel. All of a sudden, I had this new sensation that I'd never felt before, really felt before. So it was almost like you taste food for the first time. You've ingested it, but you've never really truly tasted it. Well, I started tasting it. It tasted really good. And so here I was, and my buddy and I just rock started out for the rest of the night, and we were dancing our asses off, having a great time. And that was when my world changed, and I went into this zone of just like 
party animal crazy like throw a do you you do a show and you're throwing some crazy raver hat on and you're running around the club like a freaking idiot for the rest of the night till the club closes at four o'clock in the morning and then you're going to after parties after that and then you're going to the beach to watch the sunrise and then you're freaking partying all day again oh my god you know and then, you know and then from there it was like they would go sometimes honestly we'd go for weeks sometimes shelby where it would be like just get a couple hours sleep okay let's go back let's do it all over again hit the gym do a little choreography do a show go out there party again and it was just like constant all day long every day just <laughs> getting getting paid to party this is all it was just for ages Jeez. so yeah so like that happened and so like it was just and so and then i went on this amazing peak of popularity where it was like acceptance and having so much fun mm -hmm. and then basically it was just this crazy scenario where i ended up actually like this is really compressing stuff into a short form believe it or not but what ended up happening was um i was dating this girl she was a hawaiian tropic model she and i really she was awesome but i was kind of homesick believe it or not I'd, I'd missed missed canada i was back i was i'd been down there for about a year and i felt really hollow and i didn't really like my friends weren't really my friends i didn't yeah. know who to trust anymore and it was just like a really crazy scene so i ended up coming back to canada and ironically we we did a tour up here in bc again and and uh, a few girls from my graduating class in high school showed up actually at the show, one of the shows, and I heard them chanting my real name behind me. And I'm like, I look back and I'm like, holy shit. And these, all these girls are chanting and shit. And I'm like, and one of them was a girl that I just had a massive crush on since I was like in eighth grade. She was just somebody that I always like looked up at her on her pedestal. And uh, all of a sudden she saw me through a different set of eyes than she ever saw me through before. And we hit it off. And the next thing you know, as my life kind of went as a free bird, I ended up like leaving my, my group. I left everything behind and I decided to stay in Canada. And wow. I stayed with her. And believe it or not, we used to be were together and I introduced her to the industry. She asked me to get her into the industry and she became a feature dancer herself. And, wow. you know, she went into this whole other realm of, of dancing and just and female dancing is completely different than male dancing. So it affects the women a lot differently because you're dealing with a male mentality. Mm -hmm. Us guys are out there just going, oh, you know, listening to women scream, take it off. Whereas the other guy, when you're, when you're a female dancer, you're out there hustling and, you know, some guy's eating his burger in front of you, like, you know, whatever. Right? Yeah. It's just not the same thing, right? So there was that. And so we ended up, you know, having this really tumultuous relationship where it kind of went back and forth. And, and then, believe it or not, what ended up happening was is I ended up going back down to the States. And I ended up uh, eventually going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I joined another group down there. And I worked with them for a while. And it wasn't the same. And I went through really heavy financial strains. Didn't know where I was going to get food on the plate for a while. And the guys didn't even have air conditioning in the van. And there was like this, this crazy incident where I crashed a tour van, believe it or not. And had to, and I had no social security number and I had no freaking driver's license. My driver's license was Canadian and I was like not supposed to be there and all this crazy shit happened. And so I ended up bailing out the next morning and jumped in with a guy into his Jeep and we went from Myrtle Beach all the way to freaking Houston, Texas in the Jeep <laughs> and, and ended up in this bar that not a, a year, a year or so before this, I'd actually won Mr. Nude Western Canada. It was about a year to the day that I was standing in this bar in Houston, Texas, and I'm up there on what they called the fucking meat rack. I shit you not, the meat rack. And I'm standing up there, and I got all these guys standing there in their G-strings. 
right? And we're just standing there waiting to get women to come and pick us. And no women are picking me. And I'm like, what gives? I got a good body. I'm not that bad looking. What's going on here? And so I look to my left and I look over there and I see this one guy. He's just getting just private dance after private dance. And I'm like, and I look down and like, yeah, the guy's hung like a friggin' donkey, right? <laughs> so then I'm sitting there like, okay. And then I'm noticing like these girls are like, taking these guys into this other room yeah. and then i'm like okay it's a prostitution ring so i'm like great i'm not gonna be making any money here because i'm not gonna I'm, i couldn't bend my my morality just would not i could bend my morality but i'd never break it yeah and so i just didn't go there well i ran i i wasn't making anything so now my struggle got worse because now i'm sitting here in houston texas i got no money and I, i'm borderline you know in this prostitution ring practically standing there and i'm like what am i gonna do so eventually I called my old agent back in Florida and I begged him for my job back. And he said, yeah, man, he goes, come on. So I took a bus back and got back to Panama city and started working just as tips only. And then my girlfriend at the time that I'd known from school there that I got together with in Canada, she decided she was going to come down and I told her not to bring her costuming across the border. Well, she went ahead and didn't listen to me and tried to do that and got caught at the border with her costume and wasn't allowed to go into the States. So we got in this huge argument on the phone and it got totally overblown really fast. And then all of a sudden we broke up over the phone and that was next thing you know, I'm out in my backyard burning her promo posters and just sitting there saying, fuck you and rah, 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 and all, all upset. So I went into a massive downward spiral and here I was in Florida back working with my group back in the drug scene. And I went into a pretty heavy downward spiral and really just basically drowned a lot of my shit into drugs for a while. And it Jeez. got really, really hairy. Really hairy. Jeez. I had a massive rock bottom, like a massive rock bottom. And that's where you need to be sometimes to really realize, you know, how important the little things in life really are. Yeah. And when the story is this, like I said, we could go on for a while. I know we're pushing time here. The story is this, though. Can you imagine you're at a party? you know no one there you were invited from the people at the club they said oh yeah come to this really nice mansion so i go to this really nice mansion go to this party i show up there by myself there's nobody i know and the feeling the vibe was really weird and everything yeah and so i'm like sitting there and it's like almost sunrise and i decide okay i'm gonna go in the bathroom so i go in the bathroom and i look at myself in the mirror and i see the black underneath my eyes and how much my body is just looking like shit and how much i'd taken care of myself for all my life what I looked like in that moment after being up for God knows how long. And then I was like thinking about what would my family think? What would my folks think right now if they saw me? Right. So that was brutal. And so I came to that realization and then I went and looked out the window and the sun was actually just starting to come up. And it was like, it was almost like when the sun started coming through, it was like, it was like cleansing. You could see every line, you could see every freaking, just every bit of imperfection was showing up in that moment. Yeah. And then I looked out that window and I saw this guy and he's next door and he's actually getting in his car. He had a Mercedes and he's getting into his car and saying goodbye to his wife in the morning and letting him and giving his kid a hug as he's going away to do his business job with his briefcase and his suit on. And I looked at him and I was just like, what the fuck happened to me? Wow. And that was when that was when I hit and it just it was like I'm in the wrong place and everything's wrong about this. And so I bailed out and I took a cab back to my place and did I still do drugs after that? Yes, I did still do drugs, but mm -hmm. at the same time I wasn't doing it every day and I yeah. just really didn't I reined it back in a lot at that time. But 
it was the, the feed the the thing that really fed me with the with the ecstasy was like i said it was having uh, it was a, it was having that avail- ability to express and to be able to feel emotion and i'm glad i opened the door the problem is the door didn't take me to the right place mm. yeah right so i learned later on in life through an unhazed undrug addicted reality how to actually connect with people on a way more authentic level that's and that's what i've been doing now that's amazing and um i find it's really hard for men to admit that like i have problems admitting that myself but i know like of all the male friends that i have like they would never admit like oh hey i shouldn't be here or oh hey this is not like the life that i thought i wanted sort of speak and so the fact that you were able to do that and like kind of find that even though it was a tricky and <laughs> path to get there <laughs> um the fact that you were able to like kind of get to that point at the end of it like i i feel like that's very admirable so uh, went through some struggles girl oh you yeah know, i mean I, i'm not lying even after that like i was married for eight years after that i found a girl that i was really fell for and i found somebody that i could control not yeah. lying i went and found somebody that was in the basically a beautiful woman that lived that lived in a freaking place that should have been condemned in middle georgia and I brought her out of that horrible world and I gave her this new incredible freaking fun party life with all my fun friends. And I just, I, I was looking down at her from my pedestal going, you know what? You need to be controlled and I'm enjoying controlling you. And yeah. that's some, you know what? That right there is one of the hardest things that a guy can admit that, 100%. They, actually, that they actually controlled somebody else. 100%. And I did. I admittedly did. It was wrong as wrong gets. And it was such a codependent relationship that I swear to God, I'll never do that again, yeah. ever again. And there's an element of codependency leaning on somebody. That's okay. But man, when you're living your life through somebody else's body and you're allowing them to control you, that's a freaking slippery slope. Oh, yeah. we, we survived eight years. And in the end, you know what? This is the crazy part of my wife. My ex-wife's one of my biggest fans. We've only spoke a few times in the last 15 years. Wow. But I will say this, you know, we had eight years. We had seven years of bliss. And I never cheated on her one time. The entire time I was working the road everywhere. And I had tons of opportunities to cheat on my ex-wife every night. And the other guys in my group are always doing it too, shamelessly. Yeah. And for me, I was steadfast on monogamy. Like I was just me. It was part of my core values. Yeah. I stuck by it. But you know, the crazy thing is, is in the end, she was the one that strayed on me. Oh, wow. But and so I passed blame on her for years and pointed a finger at her going, it's your fault. Can't believe you screw around on me and just totally just took all of that weight. And it was just like so much really raw negativity that it didn't serve me in any way. Mm-hmm. And when I actually released that and said, you know what? I was at least 50% accountable for it. Maybe she was actually the one that actually took the action, but I pushed her there. I totally pushed her there. And so guess what? When I took that and said, took that accountability, that take it off layer dropped right off my back. And the word that I give for that is the, the biggest word in the world to me is it was fucking liberating. Wow. It liberated me so much as a human being and it made me such a better person. And now that's the reason why she's one of my biggest fans and she's actually accepting her own authenticity now and not actually trying to be somebody that she's not. So if I could give any advice to your listeners is never, ever, ever try to sell yourself for something that you're not just to be able to get acceptance or just be able to get something for for the wrong intent. Mm -hmm. Like, be you. And if somebody can't accept you for you, get somebody that can accept you for you. I love that. There's people in this world. I love that. Is that the advice you'd give to your 20-year-old self? 
Yeah, that and that that is one, but also have being very, very aware and writing down. This is something that I teach. I'll give you a tidbit. This is something I teach my students is, is I really get them to write down their values in one word. So for example, one of my biggest values is creativity. But when I write down my eight top values, for example, maybe truth, maybe relationships, whatever it is, or one word answers, those are my values. When I understand what my core values are, and then I understand the actual feeling that is connected to my core values, that is something that I wish I knew when I was in my 20s. I wish to God I knew that. Interesting. Because, if, because this is why. When I degraded my creativity and I stopped dancing in my, and I was married, when I degraded that, and I took the creativity out of my life. I took the feeling of excitement that was attached to creativity. Yeah. That left my life. And when excitement left my life, I changed and I was not as exciting of a person to be around. So when you start degrading that core value and you're straying away from your authenticity, the person that you were married to or that person that you got together with or that person that you hired or whatever, when they stray from that, they're not the same. Yeah. That's why they, that's why they call it the seven year itch, my friend, oh. because when, it, when you end up changing and you stray from your authenticity, you're not the same person you were before and they're not either. So that's why I come back to understanding, getting feedback from that other person to yeah. truly understand what their values are. And so for myself, when I jotted down all my values and I had the feelings that were connected to it, for example, relationships, I feel a feeling of connection when I'm in a relationship, yeah. right? So I'm, all I'm saying is, is when you understand that and you understand that about your partner, well, then you actually can actually create what they call an inner purpose feeling. And that it really is, is you take down all those feelings that you wrote down and you get one word that represents that. So for me, my inner purpose feeling that represents my, my core values all being aligned is harmony. I'm in a harmonious state, but that's all just taking that time to understand your own shit. Yeah. Right. And when you understand that you're just a better person yeah. and, you, and it's, it's contagious. People want to be the same. They want to, they want to, they want to represent that because they know who they're getting. Yeah. You know, have you ever seen somebody that you actually like, you see them one day and they're one person and then you see them the next day and they're a different person and it drives you crazy. hundred percent. Or like the people who like are nice, like in front of you, but then fake hundred thousand percent fake and not actually them. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like you know what you get when you have somebody that's being authentic, and it gives the it makes people feel at ease knowing yeah. the, the person that they're talking to, right? Yeah. So that's where I want everybody to learn to do that because that would make the world a better place. It would make a world a place where there's more gray areas instead of just being black and white. You're wrong. I'm right. Well, you know what? Maybe your perception might be that you're right, but you might not be right. Yeah. You know, like maybe not. I love and that. I, I, I had to rein that back in myself, right? Like, I'm yeah. not saying anything that I didn't do. I'm guilty yeah. as charged. Oh, yeah, this. you're admitting it all, like. Yeah, I'm totally yeah. guilty. And this is what I'll end up with with that one is, is that, you know, people always say, I want to have an expert on. I want to have an expert on. Well, yeah, what? Yeah, I, I'm certified to be an authenticity coach. That's cool. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, I'm not an expert. Yeah. But there is five letters in expert that are an experience. Fair. <laughs> And when you had a lot of experience and you've walked a walk, I don't give a shit 
if you've taken all the knowledge that you got out of your textbook that you got from college and you can tell me about all that shit, I'd still rather hear the person that's walked the walk. Yeah. I want to talk to the person that went through that shit so I can help. And that's where my motivation is now. That's where my mission is, is a drive to really help out, especially other guys to avoid those pitfalls that I went through. Yeah. I don't want to see, I really don't want to see you guys end up going out there and having to do the Forrest Gump walk for eight years like I did trying to figure my shit out. Yeah. Like I did eight freaking years of that. I'm not lying. Like just sitting. Oh, I believe I know. I I heard it. I hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like wallowing in my own victimhood. You know, yeah. oh, the world's just done this to me. You know, oh, how dare they? You know, how, this 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 emotional block that I had, or this this like this almost like I shouldn't say that. It's almost like the subconscious block that I was always trying to figure out, like why things in my world kept kicking me back down the mountain. It was yeah. like, oh, I'm just, I'm just about to the top of the mountain. I, I've got this great job. I'm just about there. Oh, something just kicked me back down. And oh, man, the world's out to get me. Poor Corey. <laughs> Bullshit. It was my own boot kicking my own ass down the mountain. Right? It's just that when it came down to it, I wasn't willing to address it before. Yeah. Right? So just saying, you know, like, I'm not here to tell everybody that I know everything. I sure as hell don't. I'm still learning myself. But what I do know, you know, I really, truly believe that I could help out a lot of people in this world to actually just not be perfect, but just really honestly, like, just feel better about who they see themselves as in the yeah. mirror, right? Like, just I, be, I know I've be got yourself. Tons, yeah, I got tons of imperfections, but, you know, and I've had, I've had a body on me at times where some guys would kill to have that, but I feel way better about the person I look at in the mirror right now at 51 years old than I did when I was 23 with a ripped up body on stage. Yeah. So tell me really what it takes to be happy, you know, and I'll give you even this, right? Like this is even straying from that, but I ended up in the Philippines two years ago before COVID and that really woke me up mm-hmm. because when we live here in Canada all your life or you live in the States or whatever, right? You only see what you see and you get to the point where you kind of look around and you're like, oh yeah, this is the way it is. Everybody just kind of keeps up with the Joneses, whatever, what makes you happy. And you don't really realize how spoiled we have it here in a lot of ways. But then I went out into the jungle in the Philippines and met people that were like literally making cocoa p- c- c- pucks out there, like literally, like little out of the jungle, compressing cocoa and making little pucks and selling it to tourists. Oh, and they gosh. had like, then they had like no teeth, wow. and, but the but the biggest smiles you could ever imagine, and like the people that were in, they were selling like chicken skewers on little on little charcoal beds in their little huts that they don't even own, that they just put up on somebody's property that they're just trying to sell to people driving by and their kids are running around and they're like having fun and they're, they're enjoying life. And then I come back and I'm literally get on my phone and I'm looking online and I'm seeing people freaking out over here, hoarding toilet paper for a respiratory disease. (laughs) And I'm going, are you fucking kidding me? Like, really? Do I even want to go back? Yeah, right? <laughs> right? I remember so, that. <laughs> so, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, being that person that, that I've always been a jumper and I, I want to experience other cultures and experience other perspectives. And and it's so incredibly important in my eyes to do that as a, as a person. And, and if you just stick with what you, you drink in the same drink in the same bar in the same city with the same people yeah. sorry but that's mediocrity and it's boring as fuck to me i want to yeah. go live life and i'm more like that than i've ever been right now yeah. you know so yeah you know i mean like i said my 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 book goes far way further than just being you know the male exotic dancer side is definitely has some funny stories and there's some stories in there that'll make you cry 
but there's also like i said there's a massive meaning behind the whole thing mm -hmm. and that's why i called it revelations of a male exotic dancer because it literally reveals all my truths and all the things that i struggle with and in the end it's just me talking to my 30 year old self saying hey dude <laughs> you know i know you're thinking this right now but you're not thinking right you're not thinking with your reality right now like you know and and just stop trying to be something that you're not I you know and that, that's what it breaks down to i love right? that thank you for thank you for writing it i haven't read it yet but now i want to go read it um uh, where up my website. <laughs> <laughs> where where can my listeners find you where can they find your book tell me everything well, here's the great news for your Canadian listeners here. We actually get free shipping, so that's a good thing. I can send it to you free. Unfortunately, for our nice American listeners, there is a $15 shipping charge because that's what I literally get charged to send the freaking book off to you <laughs> Americans down there. But it's worth it still. So um, to get the book is actually at takeitoff.ca. Okay. And that is a place where you can actually connect with me as well. Subscribe to my page. It's a good idea, too, because... I'm actually going to be holding some really cool contests in this next little while. And Ooh. really, this is this is a really cool part. I'm getting people to actually um, give me feedback on the book and doing it in a video format through whatever, Facebook or however they want to send it to me. But the good thing is, is the best review that I get from it, and not talking about the best as far as the best best, but just the most authentic review yeah. that I get, I'm going to choose that one. And that person is going to get access to my video training course. And the cool part of that is, is that through my course, I actually facilitate some authenticity training. And at the end of it, I ask the person to read that chapter in my book. And I show my vulnerability and my weakness in that area and where I strayed from that core value. And then I ask them to give me something, reflect on their own life as far as a time that they may have strayed on a core value that was similar to that and how they dealt with it. And if they carried that into their adulthood. Cool. So it actually works with the book. Mm -hmm. So if you own the book and you have the course, now it's a game changer for you personally. So yeah, that's that's really cool. That's my drive with this is more more so than even selling the book is, is to sell the course with the book because now I'm really making an impact with that. Yeah. But that course is going to be sold for like 299 bucks just for the course alone. But I'm giving one away to the <laughs> best one. I know it's not a lot. But it is something, and uh, yeah. all it takes is shoot me a video. So. Very cool, very cool. Um, yeah. Anybody find you on social media or anything? Yeah, or? yeah. I'm, I'm just on Corey Hilton, C-O-R-E-Y, and Hilton like a hotel. Um, and that is uh, on, obviously, Facebook. I have actually two Facebook pages, so you can hit either, <laughs> either one of them in Kelowna. And uh, I'm on Insta and, you know, the regular stuff. You know, all of, all of them, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, and all that YouTube BS and all that stuff, guy. You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> jokingly i spread it around but no i mean it's i'm not the big social media like i i i'll i get on there to do it but for me personally i kind of find like here's one thing that i do and I'll, I'll i'll leave you with this for a little thing that all your listeners can actually take the time to do personally and it'll make a little bit of a difference for y'all this is something fun that i do i do this on a weekly basis actually or a couple every couple weeks but i'll take a day and i'll take all the things that i do in a day so say it's like Say today I'm going to take my dog out for a walk. From one to ten, how much does that, how good does that make me feel? How high of my vibration do I have from one to ten taking my dog out for a walk today? Okay, well, maybe that was about a seven. And then I'll go, oh, okay, well, from one to ten, if I'm on social media, what does that make me feel like? Oh, maybe that's about a three, being realistic, because it's just full of yep. shit. So then I'm like, okay. But I went ziplining today. That was rad. 
I'm going to go with a nine on that one. That's great. So I calculate all the shit up that I've done on that day and say I've had like seven different things that I've done in that day, just as an example. So what I do is I take all those numbers that that represent those things that I did, uh, whatever it is from one to 10, calculate them all up. And if it's seven items, I divide that number by seven. And what do I get there? What I get is my average, Mm -hmm. right? So now I'm maybe I'm an average of 7.5 as an example of all those numbers. If I'm actually, my vibe's pretty good. So everything else that I'm doing for the rest of that week, I have to ask myself, am I above or below a 7.5? Ooh, I like that. And if I'm above it, that's awesome. Yeah. If I'm below it, I might want to change some of the shit that I'm doing. I like, like, I like that. I'm going to try that. Yeah. So like maybe yeah. it's just having coffee with somebody that's authentic and you're really vibing hard with them. That could be a 10. Yeah. Like I could be a 10. Yeah. But that might be something you're doing that's kind of shitty and you're like, you know what, maybe I should go have coffee with somebody that's more authentic and actually <laughs> like make, make my day a little better. But it's cool to do that because then, because it's, that's when you're talking mental health, like you can easily get drugged down by, by, by staying in a low vibe state. Oh right? yeah. So when you recognize it and you're aware of it, it can make yeah. all the difference in the world. Right? Yeah. So that's oh, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to try that. I'm actually going to make my students do that tomorrow. We're going to make a list tomorrow <laughs> in class go. and we're going to try that out. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Thank you so much for taking your time out of your evening to, to chat with me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to check out your book. Love sh- yeah, yeah. Loved your story. Um, and we might I might just have to follow like everybody else and have you back on again too sometime. Anytime, my friend. Anytime. <laughs> and like I said, you know, just go to takeitoff.ca. I'll send you a personally signed copy as well. So. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Thanks so much, Corey. And uh, we'll keep in touch, okay? You betcha. All take right. Care. Take care. Super cool dude. I loved hearing his story and how he got to where he is today and how it kind of his whole story and background changed his mindset on life and everything. And the way Corey talks about his story, like it's you just want to keep listening, right? Like I'm a kid, you know that you guys know that gif where like the little kids like his hands are like underneath his chin and he's just kind of like sitting leaning on his hands and you're just like, ooh, tell me more. So um, literally this episode could have been probably like three hours long with the stories um, Corey has. And it's that's awesome. I love I love hearing people's stories and, and how it affected their lives and their relationships and their mental health. And especially like that all happened to him mostly too in his 20s. Right. So um, as a male going through that in your 20s, like I can't, I can't even imagine. So I just really appreciate him sharing. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And I can't wait to chat next week.